Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the Bezor of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who are who keep getting stuck in the trick stare. Uh, my name is Sarah, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, BJ and Spencer. How y'all doing? Doing well, Sarah. I'm doing quite well. So this week um, in Pottering Around, we are on Chapter 8, uh, The Potions Master, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, the first chapter that really gets into like the meat of what it is to be at Hogwarts. Yeah, it was interesting. It was, I think, the shortest chapter we've read yet, but it is a dense series of memories for me of going back to law school and co- <laughs> law school and college, uh, which will be fun to talk about. Yeah, I have questions about your law school experience, Spencer. <laughs> oh, I had a Snape, and I had actually professors that talked about pigs didn't so much as turn their desks into pigs. Might have woke, woke me up a little bit. Yeah, um, I guess this week I have more of a Lord of the Rings drink than a Harry Potter drink because it is a uh, New Zealand white Sauvignon Blanc um, okay. but it is mud house so it's kind of in a, a house of some sort which is more appropriate hmm. to last week well maybe a little bit of Hagrid's cabin yeah the end of this chapter <laughs> um, so as always we are going to go through a rapid fire um, synopsis of the chapter and then we've got a couple of segments um, mm-hmm. that we're going to get into including a brand new segment involving house points that I have hmm. So I had many questions about how those work, so I'll be curious to see what your segment is. It's like Perfect. whose line is it anyway? It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are we ready for the recap? Yeah, let's do it. Give it to All us. All right. Well, um, put the timer on. Oh Jesus! I <laughs> or don't. It's fine. Going, going, and whenever you're ready. Okay. So we come into the chapter of the potions master right in the middle of a sort of cauldron swirl of rumors around Harry as he tries to navigate the 142 Hogwarts staircases to find really any of his classes. Um, getting to class is a complex negotiation of both the building itself as well as who to ask directions from. Um, and we learn both about Filch the cantankerous and not-in-a-charming-way caretaker, and Mrs. Norris, his not-in-a-charming-way cat. Um, Harry makes his way through astronomy, herbology, history of magic, charms, transfiguration, defense against the dark arts, uh, which is quite disappointing, um, or rather Professor Quirrell is. And then at breakfast on the last day of their first week, the owl post descends over the Great Hall and Harry gets an invitation to tea from Hagrid. But first, potions with Snape, which is an unmitigated disaster. Um, So down in the dungeons, Snape takes seemingly an instant dislike to Harry and starts um, bullying him pretty relentlessly in front of the class, asking him a whole bunch of questions that Hermione knows the answers to, uh, but perhaps nobody else could be reasonably expected to know on their first day. Um, Malfoy and his cronies find this hilarious, Harry gets a little mouthy with Snape, house points are involved, um, and they settle down to making a simple potion for curing boils. Neville begins a pattern um, of falling all to pieces in front of Snape, which is somehow Harry's fault, and more house points are involved. Harry and Ron finally make it out and into tea with Hagrid in his hut, where they cram in with Hagrid's gigantic boarhound, Fang. Um, They eat terrible rock cakes, which is what I cooked, this week, 
um, except I cooked them correctly. They complain about <laughs> Snape, and they learn that there has been a break-in, or they relearn, I guess, that there has been a break-in at Gringotts Bank uh, the same day that Harry and Hagrid were there, and Harry begins to suspect that the package that Hagrid removed was actually the target of that break-in. Harry and Ron head back to the castle full of questions. And you did that in a precisely two minutes and 18 seconds. All right. Well done. I was trying to make it at least sort of legible what I was <laughs> saying at any given point. That's it. It's like 13 pages long. It's a dense 13 pages. We are back at school, and there is a lot of material that he's got to catch yeah, up on. Yeah, we are like first day of class level of um, just bug-eyed, I think. Which I was reassured with Harry Potter that apparently he's not the, the uh, farthest behind in school. He's not the only kid who didn't do the summer reading before attending the first day of class. And so he's able to catch up apparently with the rest of the muggle students. And even some of the uh, the born in the wizarding world. He does fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess at this point I'm sort of curious um, how Hermione has like practiced so much without getting uh, the men in black just like stomping down her door. Um, but I, well, maybe we'll have that towards the end with uh, the Ask Sarah questions. But mm-hmm. um, to continue in our uh, roundabout of things, um, I guess I'll quickly go with my little segment of things that I found amusing um, and a sort of reverse Wikipedia spiral um, for, for Spencer. And then we'll do a little bit of movies <laughs> notes. Um, it's, I knew about something and then I have it open on Wikipedia just to make sure that I'm not full of shit. <laughs> Story of <laughs> my life. We all. Yeah. <laughs> well, I sort of feel like that's re- the reverse of Spencer's like Wikipedia spirals where it's just like, oh, and this, and I, now I learned something new and I'm going to share it with you. But yeah, anyway. here's a thing I didn't know. Instead right. you are, here's the thing I'm pretty sure I know, but let me not look like an idiot. Exactly. Okay. Um, Got it. So uh, my get? word of the week um, is going to be spokes goblin because that <laughs> just really amused me. Um, that, in the newspaper article? Yes. Uh, the Gringotts break in. Um, the Gringotts goblin today insisted that uh, nothing had been taken, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, And then there was a spokes goblin for Gringotts specifically <laughs> to tell people what, what's going on. Um, and... I feel like this is a um, a spiral of things that we have decided that we're not going down, but I feel like yep. um, among many things that J.K. Rowling is taking pains to go through is that um, non-humans aren't people. Um, but yeah, that, that word just um, kind of amused me. Um, and then the other thing that you actually brought up in uh, your, your intro was uh, bezoars. Yeah. They're a real thing. Yes, they are from the stomach of goats, aren't they? Um, they're just from stomachs in general. Um, okay. it's kind of a gross thing. Um, <laughs> and it's even weirder and grosser that apparently they, um, had some intrinsic value in ancient times and were set into jewelry and things like that. Um, they're not particularly pretty items. Um, I would say. I'm so gonna... what actually are they? Um, they're basically non-digestible things that get... Uh, condensed and, and I would say calcified, but that's sort of particular to calcium in mm-hmm. the stomach. And so um, basically anything that doesn't really get processed by the stomach, then going through the rest of the digestive system can um, become a bezoar 
um, and it can be found in all kinds of funky things. I'm pretty sure that I was party to a case or two of Bezor's because of my weird um, veterinary dating history. Um, can can humans get Bezor's? Yes, okay. I believe so. Um, there was a Mayo Clinic link about Bezor's. How do they happen? Mm. Um, I think it's uncommon. You have to have a weird diet Mm -hmm. um and or surgery apparently or high risk if you have gi surgery that results in delayed stomach emptying have weird uh stomach size diabetes end-stage kidney disease um or receive breathing help with medical mechanical ventilation which is uncomfortable Okay. Um, and then there are three main types of bezoars, um, <laughs> which is like undigestible food fi- fibers like cellulose, um, and you can get them from eating high fiber diets, apparently, essentially. Um, things that, oh, um, that's entertainingly gross. Uh, stuff that's from hair like fibers or carpet or clothing, you probably shouldn't mm-hmm. eat those. Um, and apparently, there's a wonderful syndrome name called Rapunzel's syndrome, which is most common in adolescent girls. Oh, yep. Um, And then there's ones from various medications that don't properly dissolve called pharmacobezoars. Okay. Well, the next time that my cats get a hairball, I am terming it a bezoar and um, saving it for treating poisons. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy the odd variety of animal products that we use historically and some that even still like persist today. Like don't we still use whale vomit for perfume? Ambergris? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, not really. Um, I think it can be used for it. I mean, it's kind of one of those things that, like, vegans are probably not happy about, and it probably became cheaper to produce it with other goods. I'm sure that there are some high-end ones that are still produced with ambergris. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, mm. Chanel Number no. 5 was produced with ambergris. Um, mm-hmm. But in, in certain categories of uh, all natural um, vanilla extract, use beaver anus for the uh, various food additives. Raspberry, it's or not, strawberry, it, I believe. Um, it's used as a food. It used to be used more commonly, but I think pretty yeah. much it's no it's, it's a, now, it, it's a flavoring. I think it's raspberry or strawberry, and then there's like beetles that are like one of the reds for red red food dye. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a lot of fun products that it's fun to see where they come from. Yeah, I guess that's one of the like bonuses of keeping koshers like that stuff isn't gonna be your food i don't know <laughs> sure but i, I can buy bezoars on ebay how much are bezoars going for on ebay actually i don't know i'll get back to you um, uh no wide variety <laughs> for the research needed. expected i was gonna say is this our new segment bezoar bids <laughs> on ebay we'll just give an update better bu- <laughs> Better, better buy a piece oh, Wait a second. There's a rare Civil War era watch fob decoration, which is a madstone, which I assume is some sort of bezoar because it's in my search, encased in etched gold um, that is $1,200. I mean, you do no. mixed media art. So <laughs> is this well, a that's new media? Well, that's why I'm collecting the cat hairball. <laughs> that's why you're doing it okay now i understand I, i'm sure that um Mitty, my girlfriend's cat would be happy to contribute to your new projects if you perfect so it's not insanity it's art i well, okay. well a little bit of column a a little bit of column a. anyway yeah um so spencer um i will turn uh, my 
upwards Wikipedia spiral rather than your downwards Wikipedia spiral over to your newbie's notes? For newbie's notes, this is more just a, a, a wonderful hearkening back to a feeling I had back going back through middle school, high school, college, and law school, where she really conjures a lot of the feelings and a lot of the issues that I had when I'm through. The constantly getting lost was just a daily activity for me back in middle and high school. Um, pretty much any time I transitioned to a new class or new school, I existed to find some way to get things lost, which has, oddly enough, not changed to the present day. I could surprise no one. Teachers, though, really resonates of where I was curious to ask you guys, uh, did either of you in any of your various, we've all gone through a lot of school, did either of you have a a Snape-like professor when you were going through? Because I definitely had one. I had some experiences that were not the best. Um, The closest to Snape remark I'd say I had was a uh, biochemistry professor at UNC who basically was like, this class is hard. I'm making it intentionally hard because all you pre-meds need to be here. And if it's my class that makes it so you don't get into med school, you can come back to me, complain, and I will take you out for a medium price lunch. <laughs> Was this a stated thing on like the syllabus? No, he literally said that in class. Holy shit. Wow. Um, I did mediocrely but that was sort of more my thing than his because i didn't like memorizing certain things um but i feel like Mm. i should have tried to take him up on that um but but yeah i'd say that's my closest to a snape experience but i think i had a class that was a little bit closer to a snape experience but i was kind of hermione so <laughs> it wasn't like a bad yeah it's not the experience same for me exactly so gotcha. there was a, a professor that uh, was teaching again well again uh, biochemistry um but this time in grad school and i figured out very early on that he would ask questions reverse or you turned in your homework for our discussion and the questions were based on like a uh, paper that uh, scientific journal that we had to read. um and so i would wait to be the last to turn in my homework and so i had the first question i would always answer it usually in about the same way because there are a couple of techniques that he really liked and so i would say like oh well this is what this figure was saying but it'd be really cool if they use these techniques because you could get this um answer from it everybody in the class was just like what the fuck I hate this person. And then I would spend the rest of our discussion time like watching a movie. Yeah, you lived the Hermione life right there. Yeah. How about you, Sarah? Um, I I did not have any, in, in certainly in, in college, I did not really have any sort of Snape-like professors, although I had a lot of... Um, Hermione experience. Well, I, yes, I had a lot of Hermione experiences. <laughs> um, I also had a lot of uh, Professor Ben's-like professors. Um, but I did have... In I, seventh grade math. Oh, we're going back. I my teacher, Mr. Gerber, was a very Snape-like creature in the world. In that I remember <laughs> a very specific, and like I had a good relationship with him. It was fine. Um, but we were like in seventh grade math, and so the whole dynamic was really weird. Nobody really wanted to be there, and so I remember very specifically one class period, and I have no idea what provoked it. But he went, just walked around the classroom for a good minute and a half, just saying over and over again, you know nothing. What? I don't know what that happened. That sounds very I don't Hogan's know what, Heroes. I don't know of. what provoked it. 
Um, but this is what happened in my class. And it was one of the most uncomfortable sort of school related situations I've ever been in. I think he had a little bit of a break. Was this in the style of like a madness mantra of just repeating that nonstop for a minute and a half? Um, yeah, it was like varied volume levels. Some were a little more yelly than others. It was like a re reverse hmm. Oprah. Yeah, it was real weird. Interesting. Well, I mean, from what I'm reading in this book, it's very possible that Professor Quirrell, the dark arts professor, may be going down that route before this story is over. Um, Maybe not as aggressively, but... but <laughs> <laughs> no, doesn't seem like it's in him to do that. But man, that sounds like a really uncomfortable way for a middle school class to spend its it day. Spencer, I feel like a lot of your schooling was weird experiences, just going off of, like, what I know about your college and, and post-college career, I feel like there's got to be some, like, fourth grade thing where, you know, you took care of a, a teacher's cat or something on weekends, and and uh, she, like, put you up as an example, and every so often you didn't know something, and she would just berate you. Uh, she was my second grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Like, and I did care for her cats when she went on trips. Um, but that was after I was her student, so no, that not not that exact story. The one that comes to mind, though, is uh, law is law school, of where I had very much a Professor Snape, of where I had an hour and a half torts class, of where it was a very distinguished professor who wrote all the books. But I quickly deduced by day, you know, after day one, that this hour and a half class would be about thirty minutes talking about the material, and then about forty-five minutes to an hour of him quizzing the entire class one at a time, spending up to five minutes on each person, berating them, and asking them questions that had no answer. None of these questions had an answer. No, they certainly didn't have a right answer. The point of them was that they had no answer. But if you ever said there is no answer or it is in debate, he would rip into you for ten minutes about equivocating, about not representing your point of views, about not taking a stance. And this was every day for an entire semester. That or he would just go down the line. You'd often just pick a row and go one at a time throughout the entire class, just asking them questions which no one could answer. No one reasonably could answer. And then just berate them before the entire class. That, that sounds, sounds terrible. terrible. <laughs> yep. That, that was each day of going through Tort's class. He was brilliant. I learned a hell of a lot in just sheer paranoia that I would be in the barrel that day. But didn't ultimately matter. The two times he called on me, there was no answer. I equivocated, I explained as best as I could, he berated me and he moved on, and I felt like the fear of God left me. He then moved on to a close friend of mine who hermione the shit out of his question and was the one person who ever got something right, and he spent the next five minutes complimenting her and using her as an example for the rest of the semester. Not saying we hated her, she's a lovely person, but there were daggers. Mm. So okay. yes, J.K. Rowling did a <laughs> great job of, con of conjuring up the various professors' various experiences they had through and Gotta give her credit for that. She really ties into a bit of personal and ancestral memory as she goes through the class. So did you have any law professors that smelled heavily of garlic or wore any I fancy headdresses? Uh, no, not neither of those features. I had law professors that just let, disappointed the shit out of me in what was going to be a very interesting topic that was just utterly lackluster based on how it was presented. I think we've all had some version of that. Yeah. Which appears to be the story of the dark arts professor this time around. How does this guy get his position? He seems like an absolute nep... I mean, was he not always this much of a nebbish? Is it this most recent trip that kind of shattered him a little bit? Is there an element of tenure that's at play with these professors? I was going to say, I have a theory, yeah. but this is just 
fan fiction, speculation, whatever, fan theory, there we go, Mm -hmm. Um, that if you were in a dark wizard trying to take over the dark wizarding things and you could instill a professor who didn't do anything to teach all of the young wizardlings how to defend yourself, how to defend themselves against you, that would be like one of the early things that you would do. Hmm. Right? Is this one of of those things I should write down for later, maybe? Yeah, just write it down, Spencer. (laughs) (laughs) Taking notes. Got my pen. Well, that's what I got for Newbie's Notes, just a brief rant about prior schooling experiences. Sarah, what you got for your new segment? Okay, so this is the first chapter where we are really introduced to the kind of house point system and them being taken, well, specifically taken away in this chapter. Um, And so I am going to do just a little bit of a take- every chapter on house points and give my own house points and tell you the winners and the losers um, of any given chapter. Uh, And you can feel free to um, equivocate or debate or disagree with me about this. But in this particular chapter, um, house points, winners and losers, I think that we really get Draco Malfoy is the big winner of this chapter. Um, He clearly Snape's favorite in Snape's potions class, um, and he also gets to watch Harry and Hermione be just sort of decimated over the course um, of that class period. Mm-hmm. The loser for this chapter in my books also comes in the um, during the potions class proper, and it is as it will occasionally be uh, Neville Longbottom who melts a cauldron and. spills boil water all over the place and ends up with boils all over his arms and legs as well as really everywhere and gets sent to the hospital wing. Not a good start for him in the potions classroom. Definitely seemed like some good choices in their category in terms of who was best representing the values of best representing or failing the values of their house. I feel that in a fair world Hermione would have garnered a few points to offset for Gryffindor just due to her sheer stale in scope of her over-preparation for apparently every class that she's in, and every possible element of data that could come up in these classes. But, doesn't seem like that's, um, well, doesn't seem like it's in the category of things that Snape would reward. Certain, yeah, certainly not in Snape's class. She gets a little shot down. But, the fact that Harry calls him on his shit in the course of that conversation means that Snape is not the big winner of this whole chapter. Hmm. I feel like we sh- yeah, should have a running tally of Hermione excitedly raises her hand. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got one. Let's. I'll write it down somewhere. <laughs> I think we got four based on that one scene well, alone. That's true. Um, she is on top. She's on top of things to the point. I'm almost wondering if we're, this is a different character. I'd be wondering if she's just bluffing. Where everyone just assumes that she knows this point, so she just raises her hand, knowing she won't be called on. But doesn't seem like that's in her character. We might get there. So, I was going to say. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I I was just reminded of a professor that I had that was kind of Snape reminiscent and very appropriate for the uh, class that he teaches. Um, My Orgo lab professor was a bit of a dick. um, And like, honestly, it didn't matter that much because our, our lecture was like 300 people, but he did single people out a lot more than was necessary for a useless lecture. 
But then I was also more reminded when you were going over what happened with Neville Longbottom. Because first of all, destroying a cauldron is really impressive if it's anything <laughs> like a cast iron cauldron. Mm-hmm. But it also did remind me, it, it brought a flashback of the most terrified that I've ever been in college, which was we had an orgo lab where we were working with ether, and somebody thought it would be funny to bring in a uh, lighter and light some of it on fire. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Um, who I told that if he didn't put the lighter away immediately, I was going to physically throw him out of the lab and then report him to the university... And he looked at me like, dude, what's your problem? And I said, no, put it away now. I don't care. I will, like, I will literally try and throw you out of the room. And this was probably one of our earliest interactions. And sort of after that, it was just like, dude, this kid is weird. And I was just like, holy shit, I'm surrounded by at least one really dumb person. Well, I will say that um, we get a mention of uh, Seamus Finnegan here, and at various times over the course of this entire series, his eyebrows are burnt off. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sarah. Oh, God, no, not at all. Um, Recap, winner, Draco Malfoy, loser, Neville Longbottom. That combination will probably happen when any of us are comfortable. <laughs> now, j- just to clarify, have you established your own criteria by which points are awarded, or are you following some understanding of how it actually works at the school? Uh, this is uh, not unlike my husband's best line of the episode in your other podcast that you do, <laughs> entirely according you are the to God my whim. Of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That appears to be how points are actually governed, so I think you're embracing the books philosophy there. Yes, no, I have taken on this philosophy. Um, It does happen that these two choices um, in why they are successful or not successful do kind of go along with um, things that are valued or not valued by Slytherin and Gryffindor House, Um, but I cannot guarantee that Mm -hmm. that will always be. Hey, under that category, give Harry a point for confronting Snape in his own classroom. Sure. I, I am not going to term him a winner, winner of any part of this <laughs> no. chapter. No. He's embracing the suicidal side of House Gryffindor with this and, one. And, you know, Fang even drooled on his robes at some point, so we are not having oh, a great day. Oh. Man, we are, we are going broad for how these points are awarded here. <laughs> but, uh... I mean, if unless you have anything else, this is going to lead into my first question on, you know, the Grill Sarah section of our podcast. Yes. Expl- explain points to me. Is there a points economy? Are there set rules or guidelines for how they're awarded? Are there a max that professors Spencer. can award a season? They, yes. There was a really funny show that used to be hosted by Drew Carey and is now hosted by the woman who voices Lana Kane on Archer. I'm familiar with whose lines anyway, even going back to the Clive Anderson version in British television. Okay. The points don't matter. No. I get this, I mean, they but apparently matter. they do. <laughs> but how they apparently are they just, awarded they is capricious. Yes, uh, some people the, awarding them is much more capricious than others. So, follow-up question: if, mm-hmm. Who tallies the points? Oh, there are in the great hall. Um, there are four, one for each house. Um, essentially, like a. Um, Oh, the what are the sand timers called? Hourglass. Hourglasses, yeah. So they're essentially kind of like hourglasses that have um, points that rise and fall based on kind of when they have been given and taken away. And so it is 
while the process by which one might get points or get them taken away is not completely transparent, the number of points that any given house has is transparent to everyone in the Great Hall. So I guess more specifically, like, how does that occur? Like, does Snape then like cast a spell to like change the the grains of sand or is like he says it and it just like happens is this like a magical artifacts that like are attuned to whoever has tenure in hogwarts or i think my it is never explicitly stated um but my impression is that it's kind of the the last of those options that there is potentially like this is potentially i don't know part of the magic of the castle right that um, somehow in the ether it kind of trickles through. Um, although I suppose that there are any number of servants or creatures who might be... <laughs> <laughs> who might be associated with it. Yes. So so essentially instead of um, job security or health insurance, you get hooked up to hourglasses. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> job benefits. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Next question for me, unless you have another one, BJ. Um, I, I, I do have one. Um, but but I Go think I'll, I'll let you finish out uh, after I ask my one, because this is pretty much it. Um, so it seems like very poor uh, planning, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> to have cauldrons that can very easily, like things can easily be destroyed. And like, I get it. Like, my, I guess my brain, because I was a chemistry major, goes to like organic lab where you had glassware and like, yeah, you could drop it. But there was a lot of stuff that, like, you kind of had to work hard to break. Like, you had to do something stupid or careless um, or, or something like that. And but and this wasn't, like, the first lab class that you had in middle school. Mm-hmm. This was, like, a college-level course. Like, I don't, I don't think that, you know, there was much in middle school that you could break by not doing something perfectly, essentially. Um friend of mine learned that uh, spraying cold water on a hot light bulb will have disastrous effects in middle school, but uh, that was outside of the actual set class. Got to, got to feel what it, got to know what it feels like to have glass flying through my hair at high speed. Spencer, you've had like really weird things happen to you. Um, this is like a recurring thing. Well, I think this is going to be a segment on whiskey on the weekend at some point. <laughs> just like Spencer, what the fuck happened to you as a child? Um, but I am ready with stories, but we'll save that for them. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I guess it's kind of like, why does it seem like there are muggle things where, where there should be magical things and maybe vice versa? Like, instead of having a very useless, like, whisper to get into your dorm, you could just have, like, a key and a lock that would be about as functional or maybe a lot more functional. Um, kind of what's going on there like is there a little bit more towards this or is this just for an entertaining story of neville longbottom is just hilariously useless and is breaking shit um i think it's a i mm, you've brought up two very different (laughs) scenarios here i did but this is this is bother sarah with questions so (laughs) um i'm doing my best Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Neville is really incompetent in potions. Um, okay. And he always is. Now, the question of why this, and when Snape explains kind of what went wrong, it's a very sort of understandable mistake that one might have made in your very first potions class, right? It's not like outside of the bounds. Um, I mean, I kind of feel like this is like, you know, somebody is cooking an egg and, you know, instead of 
you know, whip, uh, beating it first, they added it to the pan and then were, was moving it around, yeah. and then the pan melted. Right. It turned into God's bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, that's not a functional problem that is reasonable. Well, I yeah, I, I certainly take your point. I feel like Snape is not, like, particularly concerned with <laughs> student well-being. <At> all. <laughs> It's a learning experience. Yeah, and he nearly he died. Like for things to just happen the correct way, and doesn't really understand. And we do learn later on that like Snape is um, really the kind of preeminent potion person, and you kind of get, I guess, you for the most part, not entirely, but for the most part, most of our main teachers at Hogwarts are kind of the preeminent people in their fields. Um, but he just doesn't really care that much. Um, he also doesn't really want to be teaching potions, and so I think, I don't know why we don't have better cauldrons, um, that don't melt. Although there is an interesting little tidbit in a later book, um, that is about sort of imported cauldrons and, um, thicknesses (laughs) of cauldron pots, uh, of the bottoms, and how the standards are falling. So this might be a sort of trade issue. I mean, a, a possible theory as well, just given how, um... I feel like I'm referencing Fiddler on the Roof songs every episode we do that, but there could be an element of tradition that's at play yes. here, too, of where they are teaching them in the ways that their grandfathers and their grandfathers' grandfathers learned as part of exposing them to the magical world and the foundational elements of this particular field. And so cast iron may not be the best way you can do things nowadays, but it is getting you on the ground floor of how this magic is done through the most traditional way possible. Well, and I would I would put it kind of to the other example you gave, BJ, about sort of passwords getting into um, house common rooms. Right. That that, I think, is very specifically a sort of legacy of the castle that just continues to persist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, certain things happen in the Hogwarts castle that are just as you say, Spencer, sort of tradition, they are generational, um, and there's no real reason to not, or to actually change them. Okay. Spencer? Uh, two quick ones from me. Uh, one, uh, Argus Filch? Is that the name of the, uh, ground, the groundskeeper, I suppose he the is? Care, or the caretaker. Caretaker, caretaker. Yeah. Uh, Is he magical? And is his cat magical? And is his cat a familiar? Okay. So, there's gonna be a little bit of spoiler in this answer, but I don't think it's, like, it's not intrinsic to the plot. You just learn it in a sort of subplot in the second book. Um, mm-hmm. Argus Filch is what is known as a squib. Um, don't know that word yet. Yeah, and you don't get it until the second book. But a squib is someone who was born in a magic family, um, but shows no signs or very few signs of actually being magic themselves. Oh, that would Yeah, suck. and so he's very Man, bitter about it. Um He's very bitter about it, and there are, like, some sort of multi-level marketing scams that are supposed to teach squibs magic very quickly um, that you learn about later. So Argus Filch is, like, in a very strange position um, of being the caretaker at the school for children who are very explicitly magic uh, when he himself is not. Mrs. Norris is always a bit of a mystery. Um, because she can seem, the, the cat can seem to, seems to see things, understand things, have some sort of relationship with Argus Filch that is a little bit outside of like a normal cat. Um, but we actually never really get any information on kind of what her deal is. She just turns up and is a little creepy 
clairvoyant delivering messages, bringing um, Argus Filch to the scene of like various student crimes. But that's about all we get. There definitely seems to be an element of magic implied about mm-hmm. her, just based on the connection the two of them have. Mm-hmm. That seemingly anything she sees or knows is immediately communicated to him. So if she isn't inherently magical, there is something implied magically connect- uh, applied about her. Otherwise, I don't know, maybe the two of them are just so constantly joined at the hip, he know- he has similar thoughts to her when she's going to a particular place, but I don't think it makes any sense. She also seems to kind of hate students, so maybe that's the shared bond. <laughs> All right, that answers that one. Uh, Next follow-up, we see ghosts again, Mm -hmm. and we get to see a poltergeist at his most annoying. Mm -hmm. Um, Are ghosts allowed to persist even when they are problematic? Again, is an element of tradition, as, you know, connecting to a particular house. Uh, And is there a practical means of banishing ghosts in this magical world, if need be? Um, We do not see any means of banishing ghosts. Uh, The kind of description that we get of why ghosts exist it's always a little vague um, but we do learn a little bit more about it in this book Uh, but it's really people who have chosen for whatever reason to just not move on and so they live this kind of weird half-life existence um, in the castle or else or elsewhere Um, we see other ghosts even in this book we don't see them banished Um, they seem to have their own very personal relationships with each other and with living being um but peeves is a poltergeist is the only poltergeist we meet and he's kind of his own thing in the world he's he's appropriately named he is peevish yeah he's pretty annoying um but he will like it to his own ends he will occasionally work with students if he thinks that the mischief being created is entertaining enough for him all right gotcha well Anything more? Anything else for the quorum to discuss with this episode before we uh, bid adieu and prepare for the next? Um, I think that's good for me. Yeah. We've uh, done a fairly good job of covering the first chapter so far. <laughs> Spending double our usual time to do so, as per our nature. But it was dense. It was dense. <laughs> um, right. Okay, so next time we have chapter nine, the Midnight Duel. Which I, the title has intrigued me. I have no idea what this means. <laughs> I'm excited to find out. Excellent. All right. Well. Until next time, y'all. Have a good one, guys. Mm-hmm.